G'day, it's Russell Howcroft here. I'm the Chief Creative Officer of the Sayers Group and a founding partner at Sayers. We believe all business, all good business, starts with a fantastic conversation. So we thought, well, let's create a podcast and let's call it Conversations. We hope you enjoy this one. I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled for everyone to know that we're here with Pip Marlowe. Now, Pip Marlowe, Pip Marlowe, Pip Marlowe is what I always want to say when I when and I you think you can wrestle. <laughs> you can say that. You can sing it if you See, like. Because that's Tit Willow, isn't it? Tit Willow, <laughs> Tit Willow. Do you know I that song? That I do. It's actually you're making Marlo, aging Pip. me at that. But yes. <laughs> so Pip is the CEO of Salesforce, no less. Now, not just from of Australia, not just of New Zealand, but like ASEAN, Asia Pacific, basically. Correct. Okay, so. That's extraordinary, uh, and it is. It's only the beginning, I imagine. Too, uh, you've had an amazing career, Pip. So, first of all, I want to say congratulations. Thank you very much. I'm not sure it's only the beginning. When you get to my age, you do think there's a little bit in the rearview mirror. No, <laughs> I, I, there's a long way to go. I think. I suspect. We'll talk about that at the end. Before we go any further, I just want to make sure that we're in a really good vibe here, Pip. So, I'm going to. Well, Freddie, Freddie's producing. He's going to play you some audio. About five, I think. We've got five different um, soundscapes is probably what you would call it in the audio business. And I want you just to maybe close your eyes, but very different soundscapes. One of them is going to appeal to you the most as a place to have a conversation. Let's have the first one. So we've got, what have we got, by a fire? Yeah, the first one definitely sounded like something was on fire. Uh, yeah, so you, <laughs> you're on fire. So by a fire. Fireplace, you and I are by a fireplace or are we I by the, the water? I think or? the fire's a hard no for me. I quite mm. like the last one actually. Oh, yeah, the forest. Like mm. walking through a forest. Yeah. Side by side, having a conversation. In my stilettos. Speaking of stilettos, did you just see the woman that went past in a Vespa on the street just then? No, I did not. Oh, it was magnificent. Red Vespa, red helmet, black leather skirt, red high heel stilettos, very cool shades like You're Chanel. You're to Florence as we speak. Exactly. Yes. I literally thought I was in. I'm at the. We're at the Paris end of you know Con Street, of course. Close. But I literally thought, where am I? I didn't get my phone out fast enough to take a photo of this. You know this. Fabulous vision. It was fantastic. Yeah. My hubby has a Vespa mm. and I can assure you when I'm on it, that is not what I'm wearing. <laughs> well, that was part of the thing. Like It was a, it was a genuine surprise. <laughs> anyway, it was great. So, Pip. Now, Pip is, I'm assuming, not your Christian name. No, it is not. In fact, uh, short story is uh, I'm named after a nun. My mother was a nun for six years and her best friend in the convent, her name was Philippa. So I am named after a nun and my full name is Philippa. I absolutely adore the fact that your mother was was a nun. Was, yes. Yeah. And is your tense. mother is she still alive? Yes, she is. Yeah. She and is. and um so tell us a bit about mum. Oh, mum was uh one of eight children. Uh her dad died when she was six. And in fact, um the um the last child was born a day after um, her father passed away. Oh. So she grew up under a really strong woman, my, my grandmother, who really raised eight kids tremendously, doing three jobs and 
I think part of, you know, one of my sort of super skills is hard work. Yep. Um, I grew up as one of five kids and I think that really came through from, you know, from my mum and my dad, to be honest. And um, did all you, did all the kids help each other with the, with the growing up? So was the household very much, you know, one in all in? Yeah, definitely. We were um, five kids, boy, boy, girl, girl, girl. I'm the fourth girl. Um, and because we sort of grew up in a very sort of modest you know, household, yeah. uh, everybody just did everything from, you know, firewood collecting to cooking. Um, I never will peel another potato in my life. When you are peeling potatoes for a few years for a family of seven, I assure you that's something you want to give up. So is this why I read recently that you're not big on cooking? You don't mind assembling? <laughs> I can assemble, yes. <laughs> a cheese board, a salad, <laughs> not a problem. Yeah, I'm definitely not a cook. Uh, and is that because of ex- earlier experiences? Um, I'm not sure. Definitely the potato thing is scarring. Yeah. It's just not what gives me joy, you know, and I right. think as I've got older I really like to think about what gives me joy and and that that doesn't fuel my soul. Uh, what would give you joy would be the ability to sing. Yes, I would love to sing. And my daughter, especially my youngest, is an incredible singer. Actually, just she's got a vocal scholarship at her college. So oh, she's wow. super proud here and super proud mum. But um, I'd love to be able to sing. It's, you know, when you're in a karaoke bar and you get up and you just, you watch somebody who's great and the whole room stops. Yeah. That's not what I create. Well, I'm not so sure about that because I have seen you on stage. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I think, so a big part of your leadership style, if I can just, let's just dive into it, right? So a big part of your leadership style is owning the space. And I, and I think that that is something, well, A, I think you should be proud of it, but B, I want you to talk about that. I'm, I'm not sure I would have articulated it as owning the space. Is that a bloke way to say it? No, no, I don't, know. I don't, I don't <laughs> even think it's a gender thing. I think I just try and be authentic. Yeah. So I'm probably not the most polished person in the room, probably not the smartest person in the room, but I'm come, especially as I've got older, really comfortable with who I am. You know, what I do bring, uh, the things I don't bring, the gaps, and I don't mind just owning all of that now. Yeah. So I don't feel like I have to learn something by script, as, <laughs> as you've experienced with me probably. Um, I like to be more natural. I like to be more authentic. Um, and that has something that probably over the years I've got more comfortable with versus trying to be what I'm not. Well, I think it's really hard. It's really hard to just you know turn up and go. Uh, that does require – well, it does require confidence. Yeah, confidence, um, self-awareness. Um, and I think you know, earlier in my career when I was – you know, very frequently the only female in a room yeah. or, you know, at a boardroom table, thinking I had to be, you know, you had to have masculine attributes or be one of the boys. That's, you know, not what I want to do or want to mm. be or want to role model. Um, and so I think just being really comfortable owning that space, your own personal space and having that come through authentically, I think that's good. Although I do always say authenticity does not excuse poor judgment. I'm a really funny person, or at least I like to think I am. Yeah. Um, it's not always okay to bring that out. Sometimes yeah. I've got to hold some part of me back. And re- what part of me do I need to bring out right now? So are you good at reading a room? Sometimes. Right. And when? And so do you notice it when you're not or you get told that you're not? Probably a D, all of the above. You know, sometimes I'll leave something and somebody will say to me, oh, I think so-and-so is flat today. And I went, oh. quacky. Yeah. I miss that. Yeah. And because I like to be someone who actually is aware of how people are feeling – and I'm like, okay, I need to go check in on that. So I love that people can tell me that because sometimes I do miss the signals. Um, but sometimes I'm in a room and I'm feeling like I, I can feel like I'm not getting the signals in and I'm aware that things aren't there. Right. Um, and I think at that point, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to stay calm and carry on, so to speak, but also go, okay, what, what else can I try now to 
sort of get things maybe more energy or bring in the tough conversation that maybe needs to happen. So, yeah, there's a bit of both in that. So, Pip, you are, as articulated at the top of the show, you're, you're a big boss of a big company, but I'm not sure that everyone knows just how big Salesforce is. So give us some numbers. Um, so it's based in the US. Yes, it's uh, 24 years old yeah. and another maybe two months, um, you know, 70-plus thousand employees globally. Um, has been growing 20% a year since its inception minimum. So it's an incredible um, world's largest startup in some ways yeah. and, and it's still got that agility and um, hustle of a startup, which um, I love. It's really energising to work inside of that. So when I, one of my questions was around the startup, the idea of Salesforce as a startup. What did it start as? Well, our founder, Mark, um, had been working at Oracle and really had seen what a software and enterprise software company could be like. But also I think he saw what he wanted to do differently. He wanted to build a product in the cloud, have more elasticity in that, more choice, um, really drive consumption. So often companies will buy software and not use it. Yep. That's not what Mark wanted. He wanted customers to buy and consume and take value. So he created you know, pretty much the first real cloud you know, software company on the planet and, it, and it's grown from then. And the original one um, it was around a sales use case, um, hence the use of the name Salesforce. And and whilst that was our first use case, is how do you help companies run a you know a sales process um, from nurturing a lead through to closing and um, and really getting to know your customers from a sales side of things. Now it's marketing. How do you you know recruit new customers or personalize your marketing and communication to them or nurture the next next best action. How do you um, do service instances? So if you um, are a white goods manufacturer and somebody's fridge or washing machine breaks down, you know, you're calling them in, you're logging the service case, you're sending out your service people, you're doing smart routing so you know which places to go to first. We have service now. Um, we have data, we have analytics, we have integration and, and the other year we brought Slack yeah. so to create that sort of digital headquarters. So... It's so much more than it was. Indeed. Uh, okay, so 70,000 worldwide um, in your – is Ballywick the right word to use here? <laughs> in your region, how many countries? So we have uh, about 13 countries. And so how many employees with you? Uh, we're about 4,000, 4,500. And what sort of revenues? We do not do that. Good. <laughs> is that like a trick question? No, but it's big. Yes. Okay. Yep. So when um, I was first uh, – introduced to Salesforce, mm -hmm. I'm trying to get my head around it. And the only way I could get my head around it was when I, de when I determined just for myself that it's actually the internet for business. Yeah, it is. It's, um, if you think about all your business customers, it's really about how do you help them connect with their customers. And so whatever you're trying to do as a business and a whole 360-degree view of your customer, how does that technology help you do that? So... Um, and the internet in some ways does everything, doesn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. so what do they say, the, the, the percentage of the brain that we actually use? I'm, gonna, I'm looking at Freddie here because I suspect he might know the number. It, ten? Nah, yeah. more like 10. ten I think it's so it's like 10% yeah. of, of the total capacity of our brains, we use 10%. So let's just agree, 10%. We're not going to so, use fact here at all, are we? But no, we think no. it's 10%. It, yeah, yeah. But we, we admit that it's not fact. We say, I think mm -hmm. it might be about 10%. So let's just go with that. Salesforce, um, you, you people implement it. What percentage do you reckon they use of the of the capacity of that machine 
because it is impressive. Yeah. It's genuinely, I think, insanely impressive. What percentage is actually used of the it's capacity? High. Oh, it's high and we track ah. it because we can see – you know, how often customers are logging on to it. We can see, you know, how many messages are sending. And we track that because we want to make sure that the customer is actually getting value from it. So the usage is very high. Brilliant. So, yeah, we, that's one of the best things about having a cloud product is, you know, you use it versus leave it on the shelf and you're buying it because you actually have that use case. So uh, One of the things that I experienced with Salesforce was, was the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I was thoroughly energised by it. So t- just give us a bit of an insight on the work you do to ensure that you do have this positive culture? Yeah, well, I'm a big believer that cultural eats strategy for lunch, yeah? So if you have a great strategy but a culture that can't bring it to life, then it, it doesn't matter how good your product is or your strategy is, your people don't believe in it. So I would say the thing that is you know great about the company is really clear about the vision, what we're trying to do, as in help you know, customers connect with their customers, and it's really clear on the values. Right. So when I joined the company almost four years ago, there were four values. Um, and about a year ago, we added a, a fifth. And mm. it's not often that we change values, which I think is good. Um, we always say trust is our number one value. So if you've got trust, trust with your customers, trust with your employees, trust with your platform, it's a cloud provider. Trust is really important. Customer success, you talk back to the usage. Yeah. So we drive around customer success, innovation, equality. And the one we just added was sustainability. Right. So the culture is built around those values. Right. So they're not every value, it's a core set. And then we reward that, we recognise that, we use those in our business decisions. So they're really, we start every big meeting with them, we share them with our customers and our partners. It's a huge part of who we are. But then the overlay is fun. Yes, well, that's my overlay that I love. It's my own personal value. I love fun. Uh, well, we work hard, yes. Yeah? So we want to enjoy what we're doing. It doesn't mean every day's easy, but... Yeah. I've been at a conference, a Salesforce conference, uh, and I was at the Salesforce conference the same day that I was at another older company's conference. So that, let's say that this other one was a 70-year-old business. Mm-hmm. That conference, the 70-year-old business, it was really struggling to get out of bed. It, it had no energy, really, at all. Um, and you could say it was pretty old world. And then I was – and then, thankfully, my day was improved. It, it's very young, the organisation, and very diverse. I'm talking about Salesforce. Young, diverse. And what I mean by diverse was just, I mean, every face, every shape, every size, every seemingly capability was all in the, in, all in the one room at the one time. So I presume that that's deliberate. Well, that's one of the five values is equality, Yes. And so I think you should be able to come to work and bring your authentic self, not regardless of who you are, but actually because of who you are. Right. And we should celebrate those differences. Like when we're having the marriage equality debate in Australia, we brought our faith force team together with our, our outforce team. Yeah. You know, how do we respectfully have dialogues with different opinions and belief and, and respect that those beliefs can actually coexist in a shared workspace? So that's a big part of that. But I also think to your first point on the age, look, I think age doesn't matter. Um, I'm getting older as I mentioned earlier I have a ton of fun with my friends in fact in some ways even better fun than maybe I had in my early 20s so for organisations fun can occur at any time if you have a belief that's important in your fabric and so I do think bringing that energy and bringing that sense of celebration and social connection that that is a part of our I think fabric of our company I like it a lot so has that always been part of so Microsoft so, yeah. yeah. Now, where were you prior to Microsoft? Oh, I was in a startup before Microsoft, yeah. and then I did Microsoft for 21 years. Yeah. And then Suncorp, and now Salesforce. Oh, okay. And so, Microsoft, 
Um, that's where I first met you, I'm that sure. Was and again, I mean, when you were first there, probably probably was about the same age as Salesforce is now. Yeah, I actually joined Microsoft when it was twenty years old, and Salesforce when it was twenty years old. Right, and and was the culture of Microsoft at twenty years of age similar to what Salesforce? No, I'd say different. Um, and look, they're both incredible companies. Yep. And I, you know, I love working at Microsoft, and and I love working at Salesforce. So I'm very privileged, I think, to work for two incredible companies there. I think Microsoft, when I joined it, was probably more global. I think it had spent it was earlier into maybe international expansion. Yep. So it felt a little bit more um, international in its thinking. And I think the other thing is Microsoft is more process driven. Uh, Salesforce is more swarm, agile, um, a bit more of that still startup feeling for it right. and how it uses technology. And it tech's come a long way in that time, yeah. So using technology to support that sort of agile sort of work environment that in some ways didn't exist back in 95 when I joined um, Microsoft. You just used a word then that I hadn't heard used in a business context, swarm. Oh, yes. Yeah, so tell me about that because I'm, I'm guessing that that's, a, that's something that you do deliberately. Yes, we do. I mean, both internally and with our customers. So you think about distributed knowledge. Yes, what's all in everybody's head um, that's not always uh, found easily inside the technology or with search. So you can find knowledge and articles, but quite often the best practices and the things that you might want to know sit in your head or my head or somebody anywhere. Yeah. So we would um, use technology like Slack to like bring in subject matter experts into a virtual environment and then workshop something asynchronously because you might have somebody in japan or the uk with information and as they come online you can sort of swarm that and then hand the problem over to you know to the next time zone and then you know be faster to fix things for a customer or we you know we bu- we've built that now into the product so as our customers are thinking of swarming you think you might have a sales opportunity um, and you want to get your subject matter experts to help you build a pitch and then you can create a swarm case bring in knowledge experts and sort of work on that digitally so I, I love something it. now we've taken about how we work to um, a product that we embed so you've got a product whereby uh well i got excited because i can use 24 hours so i can do an eight hour day uh, an eight hour day in australia and then i can do eight hours in india and i can do eight hours in britain something like that you could and or you could tap into the people who are are waking up at those times yes and just bring them all in um you know when they're when they're there by the time i wake up the next morning someone's continued to work on that and I can see that workflow and I can get back to my customer hopefully with a better outcome. It is absolutely awesome. So um, Suncorp was about a marketplace. Was it, it was, and this was, again, this was a word that I suppose I first heard when I got to PwC maybe seven years ago. And it took me a little while to wrap my head around it. So just, just help, help me out on what that meant. Yeah, so you think about Suncorp, financial services, banking and insurance, and predominantly, you know, large companies like that sell what they make. You know, they produce a product, an insurance product or a banking product, be that a home loan or car insurance and and that's the market and your addressable market is for what you've built. Yeah. But actually there are adjacencies. So I used to say nobody ever falls in love with a home loan. They fall in love with a home, yes? But when you buy a home, you may need a loan but you probably need some other things, some conveyancing, you need to move, you might need renovations over time. You want to manage your home. And so how do you create an ecosystem around that of different products that you don't necessarily manufacture yourself to help the customer do the thing they really want to do, which is move into the home that they bought and love 
you know, have that be the best experience and then hopefully pay it off as quickly as possible. Um, and what are all the products, whether you make them or not, that can you can provide a customer to do that? This is fascinating, isn't it? Because um, one of the things that you find out as you go through work, work life is that banks don't necessarily want you to pay it off quickly. <laughs> yeah, well, always, uh, the challenge for a bank is, well, any company, when you build a product, if you built a product today that said, I want to build a product to help a person buy the house as quickly as possible and pay it off as quickly as possible with the least amount of interest, is that the product you built? And probably the answer is no, mainly because of legacy. Yeah. But now what you see are these fintechs, yes, coming up and really challenging large institutional banks around customer experience, around product development, and, you know, that's that's what comp- that's why competition's good for customers. I, I, yeah? I thoroughly agree. Now, let's talk about society. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, you're... So, what's the entity, the, f- the women's executive group? Chief executive woman. Chief executive woman. And now, next time you're going to remember that, <laughs> what's the entity? Come on, <laughs> Russell. <laughs> I did know what it was called. Oh, yes, <laughs> leading the witness. So, chief executive women. So, tell us about that. Yeah, so, chief executive woman is a fantastic um, not-for-profit in Australia. Really, um, it's been ab- about for... Oh, decades now and an amazing um, group of women started this um, and it was really about saying hey as women we need to support develop and grow the next um, level and the next generation of female leaders and the statistics obviously are still challenging in this company as we look at executives in the board table or the c-suite and so they created this organization to do that they do scholarships to help uh, women in their development, they create networking opportunities, they do research, so they've done research on uh, gender pay gap, on um, the backlash, on um, you know what's going to make a difference around unconscious bias, and so they're really helping educate and inform businesses as well. So yeah, I've been part of that for, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years now. And uh, you enjoy it? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And it's nice to give back. It's nice to um, try and make a difference to make it you know, easier or uh, more accessible for the next generation than maybe it was before. So I was recently invited to a dinner. Um, it was called Women of Melbourne and I was invited. So can I, well, can, can I come along to one of your events? You can, in yeah. fact. You know, we have an annual dinner and we host one in Sydney and right. one in Melbourne and we love having men at that because at the end of the day, whilst this is an organisation where women commit to like giving back and supporting and developing that, we need men to do that too, yes. Yeah, the yes, statistics are course. still, what, ASX 200, I think only 12 female CEOs in yep, that. So yep. um, men still hold the majority of seats of, of power and influence and if they're as committed to diversity and inclusion as yep. we are, then good things can happen for all. So my, my sense of it is that they are, but maybe you'll tell me otherwise. Well, yeah, I might tell you otherwise. Yeah, go on. I mean, if they really were, would we... If, no, I feel like gonna, we're going to go to a not-all-men situation. Mm. Um, I understand that not all men are in the same bucket and there are men that I have worked with and I'm super grateful who give back um, and have supported women. Michael Cameron, Ziggy, uh, Steve Vamos. You know, I've got a list of incredible men who have really committed to driving diversity, uh, sponsoring women, creating opportunities, lots. Yeah. But the system would say, when you're in those positions of power, are you changing the system to not just support one woman but to make the system work better for more women? Yeah. So... Um, where there is a gender pay gap at the end of your life around superannuation. When a woman takes parental leave, the company does not have to pay superannuation. Yep. Salesforce, we pay it. Yep. We don't have to because reality is 
only women can have babies. Mm. And so they need to take that time off. Now, some people take different lengths of time off, and that's also okay. So what are we doing to create a system that then supports that so we don't end up with that pay gap, that super um, pay gap? Are we creating really good um, hiring practices that remove bias? You're bringing in panels, making sure that we are creating flexible work environments so both genders um, can be successful. So I think we haven't changed the system enough yet. Um, if we believe that there's an equal amount of women and men capable of doing the job, the numbers would say this thing's getting in the way. Um, it, we were discussing the other day that, uh, you know, if I wanted to become a um, cellist for the uh, Vienna Symphony Orchestra, mm-hmm. I would I would have to do my audition behind a curtain. Mm-hmm. So have we got to that point where perhaps it might be best that um, the CV process, the interview process, is all done behind a curtain so you don't know the name, age, rank, sex, serial number of the individual that wants the job? And we're actually seeing organisations do things like that, yes? They're yeah. removing the name. They're removing the university, especially in the US where potentially there's a bias around which university, you know, it's stronger, probably that particular element is stronger bias than here. Um, removing home addresses and things like that because, oh, they're from that suburb, oh, they went to that school or they're... And all of those things can create unintentional, unconscious bias. So many organisations now have done that and, and so I think that's really good. Um, I think the other thing we've got to be careful of is you're probably familiar with the old, um, I think it was the Amazon situation where they were using AI to screen um, to screen CVs. And what they did is they took the data from their top performers and they took their CVs and they said, look, we're going to look for more CVs like that. So when your organisation is 80% men, you're going <laughs> to see an 80% bias in the data to men. And so it was unintentionally screening out women and there's actually a lawsuit over it. So we've got to be careful, you know, bias can exist in technology if not set yes. out well, and it can also <laughs> exist, you know, in humans. So well, bias, bias does. Uh, we, we, all of us experience bias in technology every day because our, our algo um, starts determining what it is that the algo thinks that you like. Correct. So what do we do about that? Yeah, look, if I get one more set of pro- products pushed to me yeah. for curly hair, um, <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm trying to straighten it, not keep it curly, but yes. Um, that's where ethical use of, you know, data and having people who are actually experienced and understand how to build um, non-biased algorithms yeah. um, are really important. We've got an interesting um, role that we have in our company. I've never heard of it before. It's the Office for um, Ethical and Humane Use. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I'm not saying that we're perfect and, and no organisation is, but we share our best practice for how we think about that. We publish it because we think it's good that people know that. Um, we use it to make our own decisions about how we use technology and what we do or don't do with it. Yeah. Um, so I think that part of a responsibility of business is only going to elevate as we become more and more digital. So let me run a thought past you. Mm-hmm. So um, obviously privacy is becoming well, it's going to be only become bigger an issue I would imagine. So the, my hypothesis. So post September 11, there was concern for bad players, bad actors. Mm-hmm. As a result of the concern for bad actors, we have to we the public we've got to jump through a lot of hoops in order to prove who we are. Yeah. So even if I want to get a mobile phone contract, they need to know you know pretty much everything. So in a way, what via legislation we've had to give we've had to give up too much of who and what we are yeah. is it possible to a is that hypothesis right two is it possible to wind that back yeah look it's an interesting how you ask the question um i always try and think about a use case so um privacy is really important and consent is really important me being able to choose 
what and where I want things shared. So I have, um, this is a true story, I have a blood clotting disorder. So if I was in a car accident and I was unconscious and I was at the hospital, I would want them to know that piece of information about me. Yes. It is private. I was going to say it's not necessarily something I want published, yet I just have shared it. Um, so, But it, you know, it might be Thank something you. else. Thank yeah, you for sharing, Close friends, so not a problem, you, you and everybody listening. And what did you say, the reach on this one? <laughs> so, so to me, there's a really important thing about um, context and consent. So how can I make sure as I share that information that, that, that we can start to embed when am I prepared for people to reach in and do that because actually my life depends on it. I'm like, yeah, sure, you find find that out. Do you need to know everything else about me medically at that moment? Probably not. You know, she had a wart on her left finger at something, or, yep. or for a lot of people, a lot of other information, as we've you know recently seen, it's, um, yep. it's personal and private and not necessarily contextually to what I need done at, at that point. So I think we have to mature in the age of privacy and consent beyond three maybe tick boxes around here are those... Um, here are those moments you what you can have and what you can use. I think it's going to need a lot of maturing over time. And, and that's the opportunity so that we can preserve people's privacy choices um, and their right to consent to things, but also allow for them when it, they need it to get what they need. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? In, the, in Europe, they've got the... GDPR? Yeah. I was thinking about the right to be anonymous. Mm. So you can go off the grid in Europe, should you wish. I'd right. like to go off the grid some days. So yeah, I'm right. Not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I really rather like the idea of that. It's like the right to be forgotten is yes. what it's called. Well, even there's the right to be forgotten, but also the role of organisations to think. I collected that information. How long should I have that for? You're no longer a customer. Yeah, exactly. And I'm holding on to this. At what point should I expect you to do the right thing and and remove all that? And the right thing is really interesting because it's, you know, your opinion of that and mine is different. So you'll see, I think, you know, regulation is going to play a role. Mm. But I think, you know, organisations who aren't waiting for regulation, who are trying to do the right thing, I think as um, individuals will want to work and do business with companies that we believe in more for that. Well, as you say, I mean, we are in the era of purpose-driven organisations and so perhaps that becomes part of the core purpose. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I mean, like we, we say, have a saying now, as you say, business can be one of the best platforms and biggest platforms of change. Okay? And it's like we want to do well and do good. Yeah. Because we want to be a successful business, but we want to do good at the same time. It's interesting, wasn't it? Was it last week, the Edelman Trust Survey? Yeah. Uh, and business. Always interesting. Business comes out as the, as the of all the institutions, that business is an institution, mm. but business is number one. Yeah. I mean, we saw in COVID government spike for, you know, for a period of time because yeah. people situationally looked to government to make decisions but from a sustainable side of things you know in the research we do over a longer period of time than just the COVID spike is individuals are looking more and more for business to lead in that and not wait for government to tell them you must do this because often regulation follows the behavior or the need of the consumer. Yeah it's very I find the whole thing really Mm. interesting. Let's talk about Australia. Yes. You are um, non-exec director of Rugby Australia Yes. Now we're talking union, I think, not league. Yes, union. Okay. Uh, we're in Victoria. I'm glad we didn't even, <laughs> even mention the three letters AFL. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, I mean, I love the union. I, I, it's a f- fabulous game. So tell us what, it what attracts you to that, to share that position. Oh, well, I think um, a couple of things. One is sports. I, I grew up, um, there were a couple of things we had to do as kids, and one was play a sport. 
always. wasn't even optional. Um, I, I didn't even think of rebelling. It was just expected. And yeah. so, you know, as a kid I did you know, netball, softball, volleyball, track, you know. Be so good. Be good. No, no. But, you know, participation award, I was like right there. Um, but I loved it. And I especially love team sports because I think team sports teaches you to work with others to accept that sometimes you're going to be on the bench because actually you're not the best thing for right now. It yeah. teaches you teaches you a lot, and I probably um, did the same thing to my own two daughters. They've had, they've gone through all the sports, but my youngest um, has been um, playing sevens and touch, and right. um, was rugby uh, captain in her last year of school. So there's something genetically going on <laughs> for sure. So big big believer in sports and the role it plays, both in a community level, especially at a community level, mm-hmm. given if clearly I'm not a high-performance athlete. Um, but I really valued that. And, and when I was experiencing sport, it was always the volunteers, yeah? You know, the, the parents on the sidelines with the oranges, coaching, managing, you know, in the club environment, creating, you know, that sense of community. Yep. And so I've always really valued that. And then I spent some time uh, back at Microsoft doing – some work with Trans Tasman Business Circle and some others around getting leveraging sports and business together and um, doing some investment back into that. And then I got to know the rugby teams um, and the community here, and um, it sort of grew from there. And I, I love being part of that family. Well, is there a better is there a better driver of business than rugby union? <laughs> I'm a very biased by answering it's clearly no. Um, I know it was a great weekend of uh, tennis here in, in Melbourne. It's pretty good. But, um, yeah, and I love it because I, I love when I'm, you know, be it at the school game or the club game, it's so diverse, you yeah. know. And, and I think in the history maybe it wasn't always as diverse mm-hmm. as it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is really, really diverse and I love it. It's, it's a game for all ages, shapes and sizes. It's so. certainly a particular niche in the southern state, that's for certain. Yeah. Now, um, Eddie Jones. Yes. So, Eddie Jones, come back to us. Um, so, when's the World Cup? It's this year, is it? No? Yeah, so it kickoff is September the 8th in uh, Paris. Opening game is France, New Zealand. And when does it come to Australia? Is it so, um, we, it's coming to Australia both we've got the men's and the women's. So, the men's will be 2027 and we will be hosting the women's World Cup in 2029. And we just uh, had the World Cup in New Zealand uh, last year, mm-hmm. uh, England will have it between us and now, and and the Wallaroos um, just showed up so beautifully yeah. in uh, New Zealand. I was really proud of them. How good! Now, it's, it's, so you'll be in Paris in September. I sure hope so. <laughs> I reckon <laughs> uh, it'd be a good idea to go to Paris. I uh, think. No, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I, well, what year did I go? Two thousand and seven. Was that the last? I, I was in Paris for the rugby union. Yeah. yeah. Was was Jap- last one was Japan in yeah. 2019, yeah. which was fantastic. The Japanese were great hosts. Yeah. The Blossoms, an incredible team. Uh, before that was London. Yeah. Uh, 2011, New Zealand. Yeah. So I've seen all of those. Seven yeah. France. France. It was yeah. extraordinary. So I recommend that you go. I'm on it. Uh, fantastic. Now, let's just talk Russell about... Russell said, go, go to Paris. Yeah. Well, we know people. We know people. Y- you need to definitely do that. So, so Pip, I want to put you in charge. I'm going to make you... Governor General, Prime Minister, Treasurer. I'm going to make you everything. You're, you're the cabinet. Of I don't Australia. want Albo to feel bad about this. No, okay? no. no. So well, it's a hypothetical. It's hypothetical, but you know, maybe there's some ideas here that he'll take on board. I don't know. Yeah. So you're in charge. So uh-huh. um, you and I would be aligned in that we want our country to be prosperous. I suspect. Absolutely. Okay. So what are we going to do for more prosperity? Yeah. So look, we we live in the lucky country, and I think sometimes you know the lucky country comes from the fact that. For some time, we've thought the most valuable resource we have in this country is what we pull out of the ground. 
and it has helped drive you know an incredible economy and and I think we should be grateful for that history but I don't think that's our future I think the most precious asset we have needs to be what walks on the ground and that means we need to be a knowledge economy and to be a knowledge economy we've got to have the skills for the jobs of the future and that's digital there's a stem and so really investing from school through to give Australians um born here or not, every Australian, the skills to participate in a knowledge and digital economy is critical. Are you a big Australia person? I'm talking population. Yeah, no, no, I I, I know. Well, I did think that. But um, I'm a quality Australia person. I mean, I think uh, I'm I'm, I'm an immigrant, yeah. I wasn't born here. Um, I'm married to a Scotsman and my two children are born in America. I am very grateful for the opportunity and feel privileged to live in this country and I want to Give back and and you know, add to add to that. So I'm I'm very supportive of that. But I think we'd be smart too. You know, we want diversity in there. We want a great culture here. We've got to make sure that we're investing and helping people when they come in. I spent some time mentoring out at a, a school in New South Wales, and when these um, incredible young people were coming to our country, they were getting six months of intensive English and then just being put into the rest of the system telling you what if I you know moved to you know Japan um China Brazil and I had no language skills and I got six months yeah that's pretty hard yes and we want those those you know those people coming to our country to be successful so I think we've got to really make sure that we are helping in that transition when we bring people in better it was frightening to read I reckon it was two years ago um Harvard Harvard did a study on complex, how complex the economies are of the world. Mm. I'm pretty sure it was um, Harvard Business Review. I'm going to say October two years ago, but uh, that's probably wrong. Australia's like the 72nd most complex economy. I, we've actually fallen back in terms of the complexity of the makeup of our GDP. I was so surprised by that. We're, I like, didn't we're, that. Yeah, we're a big economy, but we're but not very complex. Yeah, what's interesting, we do some of the interesting stats. You know, we... Um, we have some of the best OECD rankings for tertiary, especially for gender. So we educate women uh, probably better than almost any other uh, country on the planet. Yeah. Yet our workforce participation and our OECD rankings for women um, and great outcomes is on the decline. So you know we, we're missing part of the ability to take this incredible part of our economy today, women, mm. and actually have their productivity um, be equal to what we're seeing from men in this country. Yeah. So that's a, that'd be a huge driver of growth for us. So, so there's a study. Why is that happening? Oh, I don't think it's easy in our workplace. Back to you know, my, my points earlier, like can I get um, affordable and accessible childcare? Because if it's going to cost me more to put my kid in childcare than it is for me to go to work, it's not worth it, yeah. yes? Yeah. Um, so is it affordable? Is it accessible? Is, you know, is it available? So I think that is a huge part of the challenges. And then making sure that when I am at work, I've got some flexibility in that. Today, we're still seeing that women hold um, the responsibility for the predominance of the non-paid work in the house. We've got to balance that. And I think we've got to actually have men role model taking parental leave as well. We want parental leave not to be maternal leave. We want Mm -hmm. it to be parental leave. I want to see more men um, take take that leave and and role model some different behaviours. So tell us about your... I don't know whether this is a good word. I don't want to, uh, pride. It's not a great word, but pride, you've got to be proud of what you've achieved. So give us some, give us some stuff that you go. You know what? I'm really happy that that's that was the outcome. 
Yeah, it's funny. I it, it's interesting you say that on the word. I always sometimes yeah. um, I definitely you know, still suffer a bit from like, okay, is anybody going to find out uh, yeah. that maybe like I yeah. shouldn't be here or something? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I am, but and I'm um, I'm always a little sad. My dad died about twenty five years ago, um, and he was such a great um, coach and mentor to me. So one of you know my saddest things is you know I would I think dad would have loved. To have, you know, seen that when I um, started at Microsoft and he was in New Zealand, he used to chop out articles from the newspaper Glorious. on Microsoft and, like, oh. snail mail them across, yeah? So he's like, well, you know, his little girl works at Microsoft. So um, he was he was just amazing and, and gave me great advice and was a great role model. So that's, you know, one of those things that I always feel a little bit sad of. But what do I feel proud of? You know, I, I feel proud of, like, the, the people I've got to work with, um, hopefully the careers I've helped. Like, I... Like, I love to hire people and hopefully set them on a path to, like, you know, do better than me. Yeah. You know, um, Steve, who's come into, you know, Microsoft. I remember hiring Steve who came in there. It's great to see him go on and then run Microsoft. Like, that's success for me. It's pretty good. Because you are investing in people and, and capability, and I, I love that. Yeah, I love to grow a business and disrupt. I'm competitive. I mean, I one of five kids. I was fighting over food on the table. So, yeah, I love it to grow the business. I love to reinvent, you know. Went through some – not every year in business has been great, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I love it when we've rallied around as a team when things have been tough. I always said, what are we going to do? I heard a CEO recently say, um, if you're competitive and ambitious, you'll be in the office five days a week. <laughs> what do you reckon? Yeah, I um I don't think that's the only definition of competitive and um, ambitious, and um, I know some incredible people who are not um, in the office five days a week mm. because they're ambitious, um, they want to grow and they're competitive, but they also want to be great mums and dads yep. and siblings and carers, and they find a way to to do all of that, mm-hmm. um, and they're conscious about the trade offs and what's most important. Like going into work, you know, it's not about where you work, I don't think. It is about how you work. I'm passionate about the office. It has an important role because it's a physical space where we connect, we drive teaming, we connect to the culture. That is really important, but I don't think it needs to be five days and I think, you know, other things are also really important. I suspect you're a 24-7 person. Mm, Yes, I definitely am. Yeah, and so you you would send a signal to to your teams that hard work's important. Yes, hard work. Mm. But busy isn't necessarily effective, yeah? Mm-hmm. So I know sometimes we'll talk about people like, oh, that person's, you know, they're you know, they're working so hard. Hard work is important, but are you working on the right things? Are you working smart? Are you working well with others? There's more than just hard work for me. I think there's other attributes. Fair enough. Freddie, I'm looking at you. Freddie, anything? Freddie's this, working hard. This is Freddie <laughs> is working hard. They've got a start-up, right? So and they're, they're still... Well, I don't know, two years old, is that still a startup? It is. It's a startup as long as you want it to be, as long as it's a mindset. Okay, great. So, Freddie, start up, start up Freddie, produ- <laughs> producer of the, uh, the podcast. Any, have you got a question for Pip? Um, yes, I do, actually. Um, so, in this podcast, with our list of guests, and so maybe we'll extend it to uh, the Australian C-suite, I think we've seen an, an over-representation of rugby union advocates. Oh, it's we're everywhere. I, nice. I love hearing that. What's your problem? I, I don't no, know. Is that a problem statement? No, not at it's all. Awesome. I'm wondering if there's something, if there's a specific aspect of the game you think that lends itself so well to uh, success in business uh, and in leading groups. Yeah, I do, and I think it's actually the community rugby aspect, because yes, we want high performance on the international stage, 
But all of that is fed through community. You don't just say one day I'm going to be a wallaby or a wallaroo. You come through those pathways. You're playing at your school, you're playing in your clubs and it's, I think it's that moment when you go from school to whatever's next, be it university or the work, or work, it's the clubs that keep you together mm. and I think that creates you know, more than just the game, it creates a social network. It creates other people who have similar values. And so I think that's, you know, a fantastic part of the fabric of that, which I think then plays out not just on the field but off. I love that a lot. We're gonna, uh, I think we might be winding up pretty soon here, Pip. Just a thought on the rugby thing. Mm-hmm. One of the things I really love about the game is that I think that the, a team, a rugby team, when they score... I think there's a genuine sense that all 15 have contributed to that score. And they did. And they did, as opposed to other games which maybe celebrate the individual performance more than the team performance. Would that be fair? Yeah, and you can hear it in commentating because you will talk about, you know, who did the tackle or you will talk about a great offload um, and how many phases may have led up to it. So it's not just that one moment, and it, and it is part of the team. So, you know, even how you might have you know won it on a turnover back from the other team. So it's everybody has a role, and I also think there's flex. I've just spent the last you know the weekend at the sevens, and like we have like the sevens, the Aussie and the um, men and women sevens, just fantastic athletes. And I just love watching how even in sevens, you know, as they sort of shape and reshape, you may have a you know a formal position you have. Mm. But when the game is on, you backfill and you move swiftly. And I, I love that sense of, like, what do I need to do right now? It might not be my job typically, but I'm in and, I, and I'm doing it. And yeah. I love that. And all shapes and sizes as well. Yeah. Certainly in the 15, all yeah, shapes and 15s sizes. Yeah, 15s is you know, definitely more diverse on yeah. shapes and sizes. Yeah. And, um, and and that's why we say it's sort of a game game for everyone. Sevens is a little bit more athletic, yeah. I would say. You yeah. know, you it's a lot of running in that game. So, uh, so I won't be playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pip, it's been fantastic chatting to you. Uh, we've been speaking to Pip, Pip Marlow, who is the CEO, as we said earlier, of not just Australia, not just Australia and New Zealand, but Australia and New Zealand and all the ASEAN nations. So sincere congratulations to you, Pip, on your amazing career. I've been watching it for quite a while now and it's just, as I said, it's just the beginning. Thanks for having me today and thanks, Freddie, for doing such a great job and helping Russell look good.